Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Well, good morning, church. Uh, good morning. Welcome to Riverside. If it's your first time here, I want to tell you how glad I am if you're here. If it's your first time back in a long time, welcome Welcome back. Welcome home. We're really glad you're here. Uh, I want to let you know we are in the middle of a series that we're calling This Is Love. And if you haven't been here, I can catch you up real quick. Here's the big idea behind this entire series. It's simply this, that truly for us as a church, for us as believers in Jesus, everything hangs in the balance uh, of this, that we love each other well. Everything about our calling, our mission, our purpose, our witness, our growth as disciples of Jesus, truly, truly everything about us hangs on this one idea that we love, that we love each other well. And so uh, I want to go ahead and kind of confess this, that this really is, I, I was thinking about it this week, I don't do this very often, but this is one of those series, it's really a series for those of us who are a part of this church. Uh, for those of us who are insiders, if you will. So if, if you're here today and you've been visiting for a couple of weeks and you're not sure if this is the right church for you, I'm glad you're here. I want you to listen in because this is, this is something that we're hoping is true of us and we want to be true of us. Uh, if you're here today and you're not sure what you think about God or if you even believe in Jesus, if you think all Christians are hypocritical, uh, I'm glad you're here too because this is something that we're, we're striving for. And I'll confess, we're not perfect. And if you're not perfect, you are in the right place because we are perfectly imperfect. Um, but if you're here and you're a part of this faith family, if, you'd, if you're here and you've been a member for a month or a year or five years or 10 years or 20 years, or if you've been here all 33 years, of the existence of Riverside, I, I want you to lean in. I want us to lean in together, and I want to ask you this question this morning. I think it's a really important question. Do you love your church? Do you love your church? A little over 20 years ago, I started working uh, in church as a youth minister. It wasn't this church. It was a different church, and and, and I remember one of the things that we did, or I did early on, um, I think we only did this once, maybe twice, but it was, it was one, of, one of the things I did right. I did, I did a lot of things wrong. I, I can tell you those stories later. But this one I did right. Uh, we, had, we had a year where it was one of those uh, classes of seniors, you know what I'm talking about, where it was just, it was a special group. Um, they just had an incredible heart for God, love for God. They were leaders uh, in our youth group and in our, in our church, and everybody knew it. You could just see this group was a really special group. Whatever it was, they had it. And so that spring, one night, I wanted to get the parents of these seniors together in a room and put them on a panel, and, and I, asked, I asked them to come and, and just to speak to a room full of our middle school parents. And so we had a room about half this size, packed full of middle school parents, and I had these, these parents of seniors uh, up front, and I asked them several questions, but one of the questions I asked them was this. I said, what did you do right? Like, I know you didn't do everything right. I know you made a lot of mistakes. If you've been a parent, or especially a parent of teenagers, you know it's impossible to get it all right. Even when you think you're right, you're wrong. But tell me, what's, what's one thing you did right and I'll never forget what they said it completely surprised me they said this they said we never spoke poorly about the church or church leadership in front of our kids 
I said, what? And all of them agreed. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We never spoke poorly about the church or church leadership in front of our kids. And in, in saying that, they acknowledged that they didn't always agree. There were times they were frustrated or they, they were even upset about something that had happened or a decision that was made or the way things were going. But they said whenever that happened, they always kept those conversations between themselves as, as parents. They never, they never talked about that in front of their kids because in front of their kids, they wanted to build up the church. And so I asked them, I was like, like, why? Why did you do that? And I'll never forget this either because it, it completely surprised me, but I, I've never forgotten it. They said, because we want our kids to love the church. Like, wow. I mean, I think the obvious thing we all want is we want our kids to grow up loving God, and that's something they wanted too. But they didn't want just that. They wanted their kids to grow up loving the church. So I wonder this morning if you've ever thought about this. What, what happens or what hangs in the balance of us loving each other well? And what happens when we don't love each other well? I, I know just like for those parents some 15, 20 years ago, there's probably been times in your life, in, in, if you've been a part of this church or even a part of another church, where something happened and, and, and you didn't like it or it didn't line up with where you were or you were frustrated or what, whatever was going on. But, but I wonder if even when those things happen, and I'm not saying you shouldn't feel that way. That, that's completely understandable and we've all felt that way. But I, I wonder what happens when in that we, we stop or we fail to love each other well. I wonder what's at stake. I wonder what's at stake for our kids. It's not news to tell you that, um, you know, the research continues to pour in that, that our kids as they graduate and they, they leave high school, they, a lot of them that grew up in the church end up leaving the church. There was a time when there was some good news attached to that because there was a time when our kids, you know, left high school. And even if they left the church, research said that when they, you know, got a job and they got married and they had their kids, that they would come back to church because they thought that was important. But all that's changed now. And right now research says that when our kids leave the church, they, they leave and they stay gone. And I just wonder, I wonder, and I don't know this, I don't have any evidence to point to this, but I just wonder if there's been a whole generation of parents that didn't realize the impact their words and the way they talked about the church maybe had on their kids. I wonder what's at stake for our community. I think about our friends and our neighbors outside these four walls. I think about the people we, we go to work with or we go to school with or the people that, that we know through different activities or, or things we're involved in the community. And, and I wonder what they think because so many of them, they know us and they know you and they know that, that maybe you're a part of a church or you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus. But what happens when all they hear is, 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 the, is people like us talk negatively about the church? And so what they think about us is that, well, people in, inside that church, well, they, they, they can't get along. They can't agree on anything. I wonder what's at stake. I wonder what's at stake for our church. What happens inside of a church where people are polarized and divided and separated and they, they rally around ideas and preferences and things or issues and, and, and things that are, that are completely other than Jesus. But, but what happens is they allow a spirit of division to come within that church. What happens to that kind of church? I wonder if our decision and our commitment to love each other is more important than we think. The good news is I think by and large that doesn't describe this church. 
nor does it describe the heart of God and his desire for his church. Um, you may even be wondering, why on earth are we talking about this? And the reason we want to talk about this is because I think our commitment and our decision to love each other is more important than we could possibly imagine. So throughout this series, we've been walking through some of the words and teachings of a man by the name of John. He was known as the Apostle John, the beloved disciple. John was one of the original disciples of Jesus. He was included in that first group of 12, and he was one of those that was really, really intimately close to Jesus. And he was the only one of those disciples who lived to be an old man. And in his old age, he would write letters to different churches telling them, this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to be the church. And this morning, I'm going to invite you to open up uh, to 1 John chapter 4. If you have your Bible or the Bible app, uh, you can open that up. The Bible app, if you don't know, it's real easy. Click on the YouVersion Bible app. Click on more in the bottom right corner. Then events, you'll see Riverside pop up. You can follow along there. Of course, it'll all be on the screen behind me as well. In 1 John 4, John is writing to different churches, and he wants them to understand this fundamental truth that has to, that has to be true for churches, for, for, for gatherings of, of believers if they are committed to following Jesus together. And so in 1 John 4, I'll start in verse 7, verse 8. He says this, he says, Dear friends, uh, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, my guess is if you've been around church very long or if you've been a believer in Jesus very long, you, you may know those words. They may be familiar to you, but I believe these words have the power to change everything about us if we'll just pause, take a breath, read these words, and think about the power and the significance of what John is saying right here. John says that if we love each other, this love that we're supposed to have each other, if we love each other with this kind of love, it's a powerful love because it's the kind of love that comes from God. It's the overflow. It's what happens. It's the product of what happens when the Spirit of God is working in your life because God is love. And if, in fact, you can't find it in your heart to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, those who, who this is also true of them, the Spirit of God is living and residing in them. If you can't love them, you don't even know God because God is love. This is who God is. Maybe you thought it wasn't that important the way you love the person sitting next to you this morning. Maybe you thought it wasn't a matter of great consequence, the fact that right now you know there's a little bit of tension between you and somebody else in the room. Maybe you thought you could just let it slide, the fact that there's a problem that's unresolved between you and somebody else that's sitting in a different part of this auditorium. And it's easier sometimes to ignore it. It's easier sometimes to pass over it. It's easier sometimes to just let it go. But John says, John says, if you don't love, if the way you act, your behavior, if the way you speak, the way you talk about others inside the church, if it's not in a loving way, then you need to realize you don't, you don't, even, know, you don't even know who God is because God, in a word, is love. And John we think he was an old man when he wrote this, so you can just think of, you know, Grandpa John. He's got no filter. He's not holding anything back. You know I'm talking about that Grandpa, right? He just says it all. Skip down to verse 20. He didn't pull any punches. He keeps talking, and he says this. He says, if someone says, I love God, 
uh, but hates uh, a fellow believer, hates, another word, detest, uh, a fellow believer, that person is a flat-out liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how in the world are we going to love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. So what happens is in churches, in fact, this is happening today, I can guarantee it all across this country, all across the world, there are churches in which today people are talking like we have talked about how important it is for you to love your neighbor, how important it is for you to love uh, unbelievers, how important it is for you to love people halfway around the world. And, And even this, this is a hard one, how important it is for you to love your enemies. But John says, forget all that. If you don't love each other, nothing else really even matters. Our testimony is toast if people walk inside these four walls and they come into this room and they realize, oh, they don't even get along. They don't, they don't like each other, much less love each other. He says the credibility of our testimony depends on this, the way we love each other. If we don't love each other well, man, nothing else really even matters. Uh, in 1957, at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, Dr. Martin Luther King uh, preached a sermon, uh, as he often did, about love. But I want to read you one of the things he said that day in that church in Montgomery, Alabama. He said this. I think this is powerful. He said, let us never fight with falsehood and violence and hate and malice, but always fight with love. So that when the day comes that the walls of segregation have completely crumbled in Montgomery, that we will be able to live with people as brothers and sisters. Oh, my dear friends, our aim, and I want you to hear this. This this will knock you over. Uh, Our aim must not be to defeat Mr. Englehart, not to defeat Mr. Sellers and Mr. Gale and Mr. Parks. Our aim must be to defeat the evil that's within them, but our aim must be to win the friendship of Mr. Gale and Mr. Sellers and Mr. Englehart. We must come to the point of seeing that our ultimate aim is to live with all men as brothers and sisters under God and not be their enemies or anything that goes with that type of relationship. Man, I think that's powerful. I don't know about you, but so many times what I see, what I've seen in church over the last 20 years, 21 years of ministry, is people within churches that, that, that start rallying around and getting divided and separated over, you know, things that, that we would all agree, if we could just be objective for 10 seconds, it just, it's not going to matter a thousand years from now, right? Uh, and, and so we, we, we do this. We let the spirit of division come within the church and we start forming pockets and we get allies and there's alliances made and there's lines drawn and people get upset and then there's hurt feelings and, and it causes a lot of harm to, to churches everywhere. And then I think about these words from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who was fighting for something that we all know mattered and matters still to the heart of God, the immeasurable worth of every single person. And instead of condemning those people that opposed him, He said this, our aim must be to win their friendship. Wow, that's our goal. Our ultimate aim is to live with all men as brothers and sisters under God and not be their enemies or anything that goes with that type of relationship. Wow. I think if we could rediscover that heart, 
inside not just this church, but just churches everywhere. I think we might begin to understand what John said when he said, we got to love each other. Because love comes from God. Do you love your church? It's, a, it's, a, it's actually a harder question than you might think, isn't it? Do you love your church? You know, do, do, do you love your church? Are you acting in a way towards others inside this church? Are you speaking in a way about others inside this church that demonstrates your love for your brothers and your sisters in Christ? Sometimes our speech and our behavior betray us, but I think what John says is, no, we should live in a way that demonstrates that we love each other the same way Christ has loved us. We've got to love each other that way. And, and, and the reason is because everything hangs in the balance of the way we love each other. Uh, last year, um, uh, my son, Will, took my wife, Alicia, out on a date. They do this sometimes. We do this in our family. Maybe you've done this too. Sometimes me and the girls uh, go out for a daddy-daughter date, and sometimes Alicia and Will, they go out for a mother-son date. And they went out to see that movie Breakthrough. I don't know if any of you saw this movie. It's a faith-based film. I think it came out last year. Uh, it's a story of a, of a family in Missouri, and this particular family uh, was a part of their local church. But this church had just gotten a new, a new pastor, a new, a new senior pastor, new preacher, somebody like me had just come to their church brand new. And the mom in this particular family didn't really care for this new pastor. He was young, uh, he wore jeans, um, he had a weird haircut, she thought. Um, she thought he was changing things and she wasn't too fond of it. Uh, things weren't the same as they were before. Uh, now now uh, they were singing different songs in worship, and, you know, it was just all different, and she was not a fan, and she let him know it um, on numerous occasions that she was not uh, too big of a fan of his. But then everything began to change. Uh, because one day, uh, that winter in Missouri, uh, her son, middle school son, was out on uh, the lake, uh, just frozen over, playing on the ice with a couple of friends, and the ice gave way, and her son fell into the water. Uh, someone saw it happen, and they dialed 911, and uh, the you know, first responders came and got on the scene as quick as they could, and a couple of them got out there into the lake, and they're searching for her boy, and they find him, but he was underwater for far too long, and the temperature of that water was way too cold. Uh, they got him out of the water, and they took him to the hospital. As soon as someone called and let uh, this new young pastor know what had happened, he dropped everything, and he went straight to the hospital, and when he walked into that hospital room, she looked at him, the mom did, and she said, what are you doing here? Because she knew that she had not been kind to him, and he knew that she was not his biggest fan. But over the days and the weeks ahead, their relationship began to change. Why? Uh, because in the middle of this crisis, they dropped their differences and they began to just love each other and be present for each other in a powerful and a meaningful way. I'm not going to spoil the movie for you. If you want to know what happens, uh, go watch it. I think you'll enjoy it. But I'll tell you what, what um, I'm trying to find the right word. I, I'll tell you what frustrates me about movies like this and stories like this. Why does it take a tragedy for us to drop our differences and come together and start loving each other? Why do we have to wait for something terrible to happen? Um, for us to put aside those things that might come between us and then come together 
and love each other the way we should all along. Uh, why can't we just go ahead and just love each other? Why can't we just go ahead and serve each other? Why can't we go ahead and just show up for each other? And yeah, we, we get it, and we've said this a long time in this church, we don't have to all agree to get along. Now, why is it that so often in so many churches there has to be something major and tragic happen for that church to then come together? Why can't we just go ahead and love each other the way we're called to love each other? John said that this is our calling as believers and followers of Jesus, that we should, we should love each other. How? We've got to love each other well. Why? Because it matters to God. It matters to our Father in heaven. It's really no different than it is like in my family. If, if I were to look at my three kids, and, and they can probably tell you if you ask them, whenever, whenever they start fighting or bickering or, or getting on each other's nerves, it, like, I don't get angry often, but that, I get like, like rage that comes over me. It's like, stop it, you know? I want them to love each other well. I make them hug, and they don't like it, but I make them do it because they're my kids, you know? And if I found out that there was something between them, if I found out that there was something that was dividing them, separating them, something that they just couldn't get over, it would tear me up. If that's true for me, how much more is that true for our Father in heaven? And he looks down on his children. And he wants us to love each other well. And there is a reason and a purpose behind that because he knows that this is true, that, that his mission to seek and save the lost, it really depends on this. That his desire for us to be a witness to the, to the world around us about the great love of God, it really depends on this. His desire for us to grow as disciples of Jesus, it really depends on this. Like there's a reason and a purpose behind all of it, but at the beginning and end of it, it's just this simple desire of a father for his kids to love each other well. And you can say, I love God, but man, I can't stand Sister Sally. And God would say, you don't love me. And you can, you can say, oh, well, you don't understand. I love God, and I even give to his church, but I can't stand Brother Henry or whoever. And God would say, well, you don't get it. You don't, you don't love me. Because in a word, God is love. And if you want to say you love God, if you want to pretend to even know God, it begins with you loving your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ well. And I'll tell you, I, we, we've read, read these words in 1 John, a lot of us, a long time. And we print them on, you know, Christmas cards and we put them on coffee mugs or pillows or whatever you do. But they're convicting. They're convicting. This is the calling of God. I think the reason John wrote this down is because he learned this directly from Jesus. He spent three years doing life with Jesus, walking around the Galilee with these 12 other guys, and they weren't all easy to get along with, guys. And I'm sure Jesus made the point over and over, guys, you got to love each other well. you got to cut it out. you got to stop it. You can't let anything come between you. I know you come from different backgrounds, different places. I know you have different ideas about me and about the kingdom of heaven, but you got to come together and you got to love each other. And this is why everything depends on this. you got to love each other. You gotta love each other well. You gotta love each other the way I have loved you. Church, if you would, let's let's stand. Uh, you know what's really interesting is uh, I can look back now and think about that class of seniors, and 
And as I think about most of them today, most of them are still active in different churches, serving in leadership roles, faithful. And I don't think it's a mistake. I don't think it's a coincidence that their parents made it such a high priority that they not only love God, but that they love the church well. Um, what if someone were to ask you at the end of your life, what did you do right? What would you say? What if you could say, I love my church. I love my church well. I think that testimony could do more for the sake of the gospel than you and I could ever even imagine. What if that were true of us? Maybe today you need to walk over to somebody in this room before you leave today. I'm going to put this out there and just say, I'm sorry. Sometimes I think the most bravest and most spiritual thing you can do is to have the humility to repent and just go say those two words. You may have been right about something, but your behavior and your words may have been wrong. And sometimes it takes humility to go to a brother or sister in Christ and say, I love you. I'm sorry. I tell you, there's power in that. The mercy and the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. When you live that out in front of each other, it's got a power to unite us. Make no mistake, our enemy seeks to divide us. But the grace of Jesus Christ brings us together. This morning, I just want to put this out there. Our shepherds and their wives will be around the room. If you need someone to pray over you, if there's been something in your life that's just not right, if there's something in your world that's not going the way it should, um, they would love nothing more than to pray with you and to be there for you and to, to let you know you are loved and you're, you are cared for. For, for the rest of us, that's one way we love each other well. For the rest of us, I want us to just practice this week. Find a way. Let's find a way to love each other. To love each other well. It matters to God. And it matters for His church. Let's sing.